You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. The words will come up on the screen as well. I'm just going to read from verse 11. We are, uh, for those of you who don't know this letter, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of the uh, early Christian leaders who is writing to a church in Greece in the seaport of Corinth, a church which he helped plant, and a church in which there was a lot of trouble and difficulty and a lot of criticism against him. This is actually probably his fourth letter to them. We have two of them in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians. And in, in this letter so far, he has been talking about his own ministry. He's talking about the struggles he has, how he's faced with death, and, and uh, how he longs for heaven, but he wants to uh, serve them, how he's been given a ministry of reconciliation. And he, we come into it where he's just said that he doesn't want to put a stumbling block in anyone's way. And then he says this, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. I say this quite a lot, but this is true. If you grasp this, what's been taught here this morning, it will change your life. It will change this church, and it will will deepen so many things. It's just, look at these verses, just very, very simple. They don't, when I first came to them, I was thinking months and months ago, I drew up how I would divide Second Corinthians, and a couple of weeks ago, I came to look at this and thought, now, why did I just take those two wee verses, three wee verses? Why did I take them? Why, why didn't I take them part as, as part of a bigger thing? And then as I, I, I studied it more, I realized why. Because it's dealing with something that is fundamental to our well-being, to our happiness, to the good of this church, to our community. Let me put it this way. Have you ever had your heart broken? Um, maybe you're a very, very young child. You've never had your heart broken. And then, you know, you're a teenage boy and you fall in love. And then she lets you down. And they always will. You know, and that's what you see. You see the bitterness of the experience there. You know, you, 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 you've just, you're just gutted. The first time you've been completely in love and they've let you down. Or you come into a church and you become part of that church and you're a believer and there are people who you admire and people who you respect and then they let you down, they hurt you, they say something, they do something and you're ripped apart inside. Or in your relationships, your children treat you like dirt, your parents have mocked and abused you. Your husband or your wife, they treat you in a way which rips you apart inside. You really, to get hurt, I mean, it's, it's, we we joke about it, you know, somebody says something hurtful to you and you might joke, you go, oh, you cut me deep, you know, but when you do get cut deep, it's, it's, it's really, really painful. And many of you, if not all of us, know that experience. Now, 
it might even be now that you are a very hurting person. How do you cope with that? I think there are basically two reactions, and I'm, I'm not saying this out of any deep, you know, psychological understanding. It's just an observation. I think that some people, when we get hurt, what we do is this. We, we fold our arms or we clench our fists, and we are very, very defensive. We might lash out as well. Someone hurts us, we're going to get our retaliation in very quickly. I think others of us have a different personality, and what we do is when someone hurts us, we shrivel, we curl up in a ball. So it's kind of punch or curl up. That's the the standard reactions, at least in, in my observation. Paul shows us a very different way. He has been talking about being reconciled with God. Now he goes on to something different. He's, or, or at least something that builds on that. He says that once you are reconciled with God, then we need to be reconciled with one another. And he gives just a great example of that. So the first thing he talks about is what I'd call uh, an open mouth and an enlarged heart. Paul here is kind of, he's, he's very passionate And he's kind of apologizing for his emotion and his passion. Why did he say so much? Back in chapter 1 and and verse 12, he says, This is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. Paul is saying, look, I've written all this stuff that you can understand. I've written to this directly to you, not to hurt you, but because I care about you. It's interesting when you go through Paul's letters that you find in his letters when he gets emotional, when his passions are stirred, it's only then he really addresses the readers directly. So, for example, with the Galatians, he goes, you foolish Galatians, what are you doing? Some of us, when we get emotional, we might retreat. Paul does the opposite. But he doesn't attack. He kind of opens himself out. And he speaks. Now, out of the depths of my medical knowledge, I believe that having an enlarged heart is not a good idea from a medical point of view. Um, I read it in a book. So if it's wrong, you can, all you medics can correct me afterwards. This is not an observation. This is something I read in a book. Apparently, having an enlarged heart, literally, is a liability. But in spiritual terms, it's an asset. The idea of the heart, the old King James Version has um, the bowels. And that's, you know, we can't really use that. uh, Because it's just, it's it's, it's our innards. I, I almost wanted to call this sermon the haggis of humanity. But for those of you who don't like haggis, and it's probably just too difficult an image for you to, to grasp. But that's really what he's saying. The stuff that's in, inside, that churns you up inside. I was just reading this morning Martin Luther saying it's how what we feel affects us physically so much. And that, of course, that is true. And Paul is saying that he, he has an enlarged heart that he wants uh, an enlarged 
heart. He said, we've opened wide our hearts to you. And it's interesting. He uses um, a Greek word, platus, or platus, I'm not sure. Um, but we get the, the phrase, there's going to be two birds mentioned in the sermons uh, this morning, the stork and the duck-billed platypus. And we call the duck-billed platypus, we're using the Greek word to say it's broad, it's wide. The only other time this word is used in the New Testament is in Matthew 23 and verse 5, when Jesus is speaking of the Pharisees, and he speaks of their phylacteries, their, their, their wide shawls that they wear. But what Paul is speaking of here, he's saying, our heart is not being restricted, it's being opened, it's being enlarged. I love what the old uh, Greek preacher Chrysostom says this, for as heat is one to expand, so it is the part of love to enlarge, for virtue is warm and fervent. It was this that opened Paul's mouth and enlarged his heart. There's something about being a believer, something about walking in fellowship with Christ, something about reading God's Word that opens your heart. It doesn't close it, which is why it's such a caricature when you get someone who goes, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And they are so narrow, and they are so cold, and they are so tight, and to be honest, they're kind of horrible. You know, you sometimes... I, again, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you go into a room and there are, there are Christians who come in and partly the way they dress, which you shouldn't judge by, I know, but partly the way they dress and partly the, the, the fierceness of their attitude and partly the disdain with which they treat other people, it kind of makes you embarrassed to be a Christian. There's a narrowness and a coldness and a hardness. And you think, well, they sound good because they're They've got the Bible, and they're proclaiming the Bible, but there's something wrong. There's something wrong. It's like when you see people protesting with, a, you know, banners about something that, for me, that I would agree with what they're protesting about, but when I look at their faces and hear their chants and see the hatred, I think, no, how, how do, that doesn't work. Biblically, that just doesn't work. Paul says... My heart was enlarged. It's opened. And so I spoke. It's from Matthew. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 12. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? By the way, don't, please don't. I'm I'm going to have a little personal gripe here. I don't do this often, but I will have a personal gripe about this. I am so tired of Christians going, that's not very nice. You're not saying things that are very nice. You should say it in much nicer terms. And you go, do you listen to Jesus? You brood of vipers. That's not very nice, Jesus. It's not very Christ-like, is it, of Christ, to say, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Words come from our hearts, or they should do. Even when we lie, that's coming from our heart as well. We lie, we boast, we flatter, we deceive, we mock, we abuse. But it all comes from the heart. So Paul is saying, 
I've spoken all this. I'm writing all this. I'm speaking this. And he's actually going to go on to talk about being yoked together with unbelievers and a very hard teaching that is to come. We're not going to look at this morning. But he's preparing them for that because he's saying, this is not coming from my narrowness. It's not coming from... um, you know, a bitterness or a harshness. This is not me lashing out against you. This is not me returning tit for tat. Because you've had a go at me, now I'm having a go at you. He's saying, my heart is enlarged. He's saying that he loves them. In fact, if you go through 2 Corinthians several times, he emphasizes that. And because you do that, you speak. He then talks very much openly about his affection. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. With all their complaints, moans, and accusations, and and suspicions, Paul was willing to open up his heart to them and to receive them. It's very interesting, because he could have easily have said, right, the Corinthian church has gone crazy. The Corinthian church is out of line. I'm going to discipline them, sort them out, deal with them, destroy them. They've gone for me. That's the last time anyone will ever do that. I am going to teach them a lesson. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't come out swinging, and nor does he say, I give up. I've got a whole bunch of other churches. I'm just going to have to leave them. He he opens up his heart. He talks. Second Corinthians 11 says this, as surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Paul is, he very rarely uses God's name as a kind of vow, but here he does. God knows I love you. You may not know it, you may not feel it, but God knows. He's very open in his affection. And I love, I put this quote here of Calvin, um, because I just think this is very, very insightful. Here Paul, hence Paul here says nothing but what we uh, every day experience. For when we have to do with friends, our heart is enlarged. All our feelings are laid open. There is nothing that is hid, nothing that is shut anymore. The whole mind leaps and exalts itself openly to view. See, what's the image you have of Calvin? Those of you who know about Calvin, oh, he was a dear guy, wasn't he? Dressed in black, went around drowning Baptists, you know, not a good idea. We, we don't like Calvin, and, you know, he wrote these books, and he had this dreadful doctrine of predestination. What a dear, miserable serpus. And that, that's the attitude that people have. And even those of us who like Calvinist theology and Calvin's writings, sometimes we have that impression. Calvin liked food and he liked drink, and he liked friends, and he liked companions. And here he's saying, what Paul says here is, it's our everyday experience. When we meet with our friends, when we wander around Geneva, when we sit and talk with our friends, our heart is enlarged, and all our feelings are laid open. I think the last time I counted, I looked, I've got 2,612 friends on Facebook, Boy, that enlarges my heart. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, it's just insane. Um, sorry, if you are my friend, you really are my friend, honestly. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've had people write me saying, why don't you talk to me? And I'm going, I have no idea who you are. 
You're my friend on Facebook. I have no idea. I just accepted anyone because that's just the way it is. I'm not doing it anymore because people write these really hurt uh, emails. You know, I'm in Africa or whatever, and, and you, you haven't said hi when I say hi to you. I can't say hi to everyone who says hi. You know, that's not, just not the way it works. That, that's not really friendship, is it? But I'll tell you what friendship is. Friendship is when you walk away having been in someone's home or when you walk away having been in someone's company and your heart has been enlarged and your heart has been opened, not narrowed, not constricted, not closed, not defensive, but it's been open. What's the opposite of being open and broad? It's obvious, isn't it? It's being narrow, it's being restrained, it's being cramped, it's being, the Greek word here has this idea of being squashed, pressed upon, being in a small room. We would put it withdrawn into your shell. When you get hurt, what do you do? You withdraw. You withdraw. Churches have been devastated by people who have got hurt in the church, say, I'm out of here, I'm gone. The trouble is that six months later, the next church they go to, I'm out of here, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Or, just as bad, people who stay in the church, but they've been hurt, and they don't deal with it biblically, and they curl up inside themselves, and it festers there. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, but the sun goes down on their anger again, and again, and again, and again, and it gets suppressed, and it gets squashed, but it's still there. It's deep, and it, it's, it's eating away like a cancer. Paul says, we haven't done that. We have open wide. There is plenty room in my heart for you. Well, keep going with this. What does he say? As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. I wanted to call this the, like the Christian swap shop. It's not, I will love you if you love me. It's, I love you, so fair deal, you love me as well. I'm opening myself to you, you open yourself to me. Paul's saying, let me have some exchange for my affectionate frankness. He uses a really, really fascinating word, and for those of you who are Greeks, please forgive my uh, Greek word pronunciation, antipelargian. Now, for those of you who are theologians, that's not anti-Pelagian, which is a different thing. And for those, anyone who knows what anti-Pelagianism is, then um, you get a gold star at the end and you can have an extra cake. Uh, But anti-Pelagian, it's a very interesting word. It's a, a word that simply means, in biblical Greek, affection exercised in return. Have you ever noticed that with a very small child? You show them love and affection and they show you love and affection back. It works with adults as well. Not always. And sometimes it takes time. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I've exposed myself to you. I am showing you love and affection. I want you to show that in return. Now, the, the word he uses actually for affection is an, obviously another Greek word, storge. I'll get the correct pronunciation later on. But what's an interesting reason for that word? It's the word from which we get the word stork. Why was the stork named after that Greek word for affection? Because the young stork looks after her parents. 
carries them on her back when they are older and ill. It was always observed by people that how storks took care, that they had received, the young storks had received care from their parents, but they cared back. And actually, in the natural world, in the world of nature, that's actually relatively unusual. Because once the genes have been passed on and so on, well, that's it. But not with the stork. And so the stork, it was given a a term which derives, a name which derives from the Greek word for affection. And Paul says, I'm showing you affection. You see, they were making complaints about him. I need to go over some of these. You can pick these up through the letter. I'm just going to summarize them here. I imagine Paul saying to them, look, my clothes may be shabby. My appearance may not be great. But I've been traveling. My face may be haggard. I may not have it, you know, I may not just be looking like some kind of Greek god. But I've been under a lot of stress. My body is pathetic. My body is weak with sickness. But there's a lot of wear and tear. My preaching may lack eloquence, but I'm not a trained orator. However, he says, I have this. I am your spiritual father, and I did all this for you. I brought you to Christ in the first place, so why do you shut your hearts? I'm not looking for your admiration. I'm looking for your affection. And he's saying, open your heart to me, because I have so much more to teach you. And if you don't open your hearts, you're not going to listen when I start warning you about flirting with the world, because you're going to have your defenses all up, and your barriers are all going to be up, and you're not going to hear the Word of God. Make room for us in your hearts, he says in On in chapter 7, verse 2, we've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. That's extraordinary for people who are attacking him, for people who are bitter about him. He's saying, I'm not even criticizing you for this. We would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. I think Paul is suggesting here that we need to be like children. Or rather, we need to be two things. Both like children, and we also need to grow up. Children generally do not withhold their affection until they begin to grow up and get hurt and wounded. Paul says we have to overcome that. We, we almost have to become like children again. And I think this is extraordinary. If, if, think of what you do when you are rejected. Do you open yourself to more rejection? Not at all. If you're proud, you react against. If you're insecure, you curl up into a ball. No one's going to get near you again. Once bitten, twice shy. But Paul's been many times bitten, and he's opening himself again. Now, please don't misunderstand me when I say that, for me, I think I understand this as a pastor, and I I want to speak as as a pastor in this way. You know that I have an open mouth. My mouth being shut is not my biggest problem. Let's put it that way. But I hope that God is my witness that I try to tell the truth and, above all, preach God's truth. I am certain, absolutely certain, that I don't get content and tone right all the time. That's why you should have an open Bible in front of you to check and and to think for yourself. But I don't mean, and it's very difficult to actually say this, I don't mean this to come across in a bad way. But I think as a congregation, we should be thankful that God has provided us with preachers, not just myself, But Sinclair and uh, others as well who preach from this pulpit, who 
seek to proclaim God's word. And I know we live in, in an era where people kind of, there's a kind of anti-authoritarianism and there's a kind of pick and mix view of things. But we are to be thankful for those whom God uses to teach us and to communicate his word. God gave the church teachers and preachers to build us up in our works of service. And it's a sin to despise that. Now, I'm not saying that because um, this week, uh, being particularly aware of that, I'm saying that because that's what this passage is about. I'm very thankful for the encouragement and support that I get from people in this congregation. But all of us, and I apply it to myself as well, there needs to be a certain level of, of respect and thankfulness for those who God has granted to us as teachers of the word. But you see, the interesting thing here is not just that. What about an open heart and open affections? That's the difference for me between a pastor and someone who's just a teacher. It's the difference between the shepherd and the thief. It's very possible for somebody like me to love God's word and to preach God's word and not love you. I'm sorry, but that's just the way that it is. It's like, have you ever heard a teacher sometimes, or if you are a teacher, have you ever said, I just love my job, it would just be great if there weren't any children? Or you're a doctor, I love my job, it would be great if there weren't any patients. And sometimes there are people who are ministers and they go, I love my job, it would just be great if there weren't any congregations. Or if there were, but they were kind of completely perfect and compliant and, and, and everything else. pastor is called to be a shepherd. Those of you who are townies think of sheep as cute and cuddly and you stick them on your wall, you know, nice furry wee animals and they're wonderful and all white and clean. Those of you who've actually had anything to do with sheep, you know that they're smelly, they're dirty, they're full of fleas, they're stupid. They, they, you know, honestly, they're the thickest animal you can possibly get. Pigs are much more intelligent, you know, but It's just sometimes very, very tough being a shepherd. They are stubborn and they wander. And God calls people to be involved in shepherding uh, elders and others and shepherding God's flock. Not so that the elders can be treated as someone special. Not so the preacher is almost kind of worshipped as a substitute Jesus but they're called to shepherd and protect God's flock who are in a mess. Now, I thought last night at the auction of talents, it was superb. Why? Because it raised money. Do you know, that was the least of it. It was great, but we could have done that staying at home. But I think that last night showed a lot about the congregation. The hard work of the organizers, uh, the talents of those who offered, the insanity of the bidders. Uh, 65 pounds for a lemon meringue pie. I'm sorry, Uh, but that comes very close to the sin of gluttony if you really meant it (laughs) I mean just it was that was just hilarious and the laughter and the joy and the sorrow I mean I I don't think to the end of my days I will forget Neil Cowan trying to sell American southern cooking in a, a faux pas Charleston accent it was hilarious and I mean and That particular thing went for so much money because he actually said, you know, do you want me to carry on? I'm not going to do the accent. He said, do you want me to carry on with this accent and keep bidding? And people did. I'm just going, this congregation is insane. Um, But it 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 was great. 
But I was sitting there, and you know what I thought? I thought, I love these people. This is great, being part of this community and being part of this fellowship. Yes, of course, we annoy one another. Yes, we upset one another. Yes, we hurt one another. That's what being in a family is. And that's why it's a privilege and a joy to teach God's Word to you in particular. You know that I do a a lot of work elsewhere communicating the Bible and trying to do things, but there's nothing like teaching God's Word here. But why? Because I know you. I'll be in Belfast or Londonderry or Banks. I don't even know where I'm going next weekend. And uh, I mean, I'll preach God's Word and, and so on, but it's not the same as to people whom you know and whom you love. And that is what Paul is saying That's why staying at home and watching a DVD of your favorite Bible teacher is not Christian teaching and worship. This is all done in the context of people and the community and the Holy Spirit. And Paul is teaching that even to those who despised him and said, who's Paul? He's just a wee man with a big mouth who got so many things wrong. Let me apply this in two ways. Let me apply this to the elders, all of us, including myself, We are under shepherds. You are under shepherds. That means you have to shepherd like Jesus with an open mouth and an enlarged heart. You'll get hurt by the sheep. You will get hurt by your fellow elders like Paul. Like Paul, you have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, stop me from lashing out in retaliation and stop me from shriveling up and dying. Help me to look after to protect and to feed your people, and I can't do it if I'm curled up in a ball, and I can't do it if I'm hitting out. And let me apply this to all of us. If you're a Christian, do you love people enough to speak words of grace and truth, words of encouragement, words of hope, words of rebuke and warning? Is your mouth open and your heart enlarged? Are there people who have hurt you are you still angry? Are you still standing there with your arms folded or, or, or fists ready to go? Are you still frightened, curled up inside? They got you before. They're not going to get you again. What can you do? Pray that God would enlarge your heart. Pray that you'd be able to unclench your fists, unfold your arms, that you would straighten up Pray that God would set you up in a spacious place and enable you to run free. I have met so many Christians who are crippled because they haven't got an enlarged heart. Because someone hurt them years ago and they've never let it go and their heart has become constricted, and the more constricted it becomes, the narrower it becomes, and the bitter and the more cynical they become, and they don't even see it. It's a gradual, gradual process. It's not that they're standing up and yelling at people. It's just that they've become colder and closer and narrower and narrower and narrower until they get towards the end of their days, and they are bitter. It devastates. It absolutely devastates But thankfully, we can see the opposite as well. People who you see, wow, how how can they love after being treated like that? Well, here's how, because they look to Jesus. Let me, before I I finish with that, let me just say to those of you who are not Christians, you may be here visiting, you may regularly come along. In a way, the same kind of thing applies to you. This is directed particularly to Christians. 
But you get hurt. You're a human being. You get hurt. You react in exactly the same ways. I guess what I'm saying is that Christians are not perfect and don't expect us to be. But you react in exactly the same way. How can you be set free? How can you deal with the pain and the hurt in your life? I think, first of all, you have to be reconciled with God. And when you are reconciled with God, then you will be able to deal with the other stuff that's there. I love the verse from Psalm 119. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. God's command to us is to love. We can't do that until our hearts are set free. And we can only be truly freed as we come to the cross. That's it. That really, really is it. I got just a a lovely uh, email this week from a young man who became a Christian a couple of years ago through various events, one, one of which I was speaking, and he's been in touch ever since, and very grateful for it. And he's struggled with different aspects of his faith. And he wrote this week, and he said, you know, I think my problem is this. He said, I don't really understand the cross. Which parts of the Bible should I read to understand the cross? Can you recommend anything about... Under-? And, and I wrote to him immediately. I responded immediately and said, you've got it. You've got it. You need to understand the cross. All this stuff that you've been writing me about, relationships with your family, relationships uh, with a girlfriend, relationships within the church, all this stuff. Go to the cross... Get that sorted first, and you'll be able to work out the rest of it with fear and trembling, but you'll be able to work it out from that. That's got to be the focal point. We come to the cross, and we see that Jesus died for us, and we come and we cry to Jesus Christ, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and we pray, Lord, set my heart free, set my heart free. Forgive me for, for the way that, that I've made my heart the center of your world, my heart the center of your church. Set my heart free. Take the shackles off. It's a wonderful song by um, a band called Mary Mary. It says, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. It's not your feet that's the problem. It's your heart. We're going to sing in a moment. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You want the solution to so many of the difficulties that you and I are facing? It is this, isn't it? Isn't it this? Isn't it this? That our, our hearts need to be set free to love and to care. And that we can be like Paul and we can look around people and go, yeah, you know this. I really do love these people. I really do enjoy being with these people. Boy, they annoy me and I annoy them. But that's the Christian church. And I have to say this about St. Peter's. I love being in St. Peter's. You have been such a tonic to my faith in the midst of all the battles and everything else. I absolutely love it. And this week I've loved it. And I'll tell you why I've loved it. I loved at the funeral that people stepped up to help and to encourage and to pray. I loved at the auction of talents, as I mentioned, but I loved when people heard some people in the congregation have had bad news, that they prayed and they were really, really concerned and they were as upset as if it was their own family. I love all of that. And I loved being at the fellowship group on Wednesday where people shared from God's word and I was taught by people who I teach. 
And it was just wonderful to see that exchange. That's what Paul says. It's a fair exchange. God has given us something really good here. There is something really good going on. We are not perfect, not by a long shot. There's a long way to go. But I hope that you can bow in gratitude before God and say, Lord, I thank you, not just for what you've done in my life, but what you've done in my brother's life, what you've done in my sister's life, for what you've given in our church. I thank you for our elders. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Open wide your heart. You are greatly loved. Open wide your heart. Don't close it because of pain you've experienced in the past. I cannot guarantee you, and I'm not going to guarantee you, that you won't experience pain again. You will. You open wide your heart, you're going to get, you're going, go on then, hit me, and they hit you. That's, that's what happens. But because you focus on the cross, because Jesus is the center of it, you just get up and you go and love them again. You don't hate. I think that's a wonderful testimony to what God does in a people's life, and may he do it amongst us. Let's sing that song I was mentioning about, um, Amazing Grace. It's uh, the Chris Tomlin version, which is a mixture of the traditional version. Uh, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.